Hey guys, this is And The Writer Is, and I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of writers and artists over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life and the industry, politics, composition, whatever. If you ask me, songwriters are some of the most worldly and intelligent people I've ever come across. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. Now, I'm co-producing this with my friend Joe London, who was nominated for a Grammy earlier this year for Best Country Song. He makes us sound like angels. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, go to Spotify and look up our playlist, And The Writer Is, or go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy this podcast, please rate us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. We really appreciate that effort. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm recording this week's intro from my phone because I'm at a writing camp in New York City. I probably could have found a studio, but most of my career is sending ideas back and forth using voice notes. So this is the most authentic songwriter experience I can give you. This week's guest is Luke Laird. We recorded this episode only a few weeks ago, and he has since notched his 23rd number one country song with Fast by Luke Bryan. His 23rd. If you know country, you know Luke Laird. If you don't, you will after this episode. But most importantly... Other than being one of the best writers in country music history, he's a good dad and a good husband. One note about something we discussed in this podcast. We talk about MDRCs, which means minimum delivered release commitment. Essentially, when you sign a publishing deal that has an MDRC of two songs, you need your percentage of major label releases to equal 200% of a song. So, if you're writing with five people, you'd need 10 songs released to equal 200%. Doesn't matter if it's a hit, it just matters that the song gets released. I guarantee we discuss this more in future episodes. Anyway, I'm so excited for you to hear Luke's story of being raised on an actual dirt road to where he is now. So without further ado, here is And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's Grammy-winning writer-producer has 22 number one country records. He's a perennial nominee for Songwriter of the Year at the ACMs and won it in 2015. He's won the Triple Play Award at CMAs a bunch of times and received BMI's Songwriter of the Year in 2012. When he's not smashing country records, he's releasing, writing, and recording songs with Neo, Snoop Dogg, and Charlie Puth. 
This Nashville entrepreneur founded one of the best publishing companies on Music Row and was my introduction to Country Co-Writes. And the writer is the music industry's number one professional wrestling fan, Luke Laird. Yo, yo. Yeah, there you Let's go. Let's go to the club, baby. I can't really read, so that was... No, it was good, man. He- I got through most of it. Can edit it in post. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, when did you get into professional wrestling? I got into professional wrestling a long time ago, probably about 1986, like, when I was in like first grade. And did you have every action figure? I don't think every people single- realize how much you like it unless they know you, but yeah. you your know, f- fanaticism is... is- I, I grew up um, in, in Pennsylvania, so the wrestling that I watched was pretty much like right when WWF got huge and Vince sure. McMahon you know, started WrestleMania. That was like... Hulk Hogan, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was like part of the big commercial wrestling boom. And did you go, were you going to actual wrestling matches or were you just watching Friday Night Raw or whatever it's uh, called? Well, I, it was it was before Monday Night Raw. Every, Monday Night Raw. Every Saturday, this is how big um, wrestling became at that time. Every Saturday or one Saturday a month on NBC in the time slot where Saturday Night Live was, they would have Saturday Night's main event. So right. literally, Saturday Night Live was only three times a month, and once a month was Saturday Night's main event. That's how big it was. So, yeah, every birthday, every Christmas, I asked for tickets to, you know, go see Macho Man, Randy Savage, or Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah, man. Did you get to meet Macho Man at all before? I, I he didn't. Died? Did no. you meet any of them? Have you ever Hulk met Hulk Hogan? Yeah, got to hang out with him. Did you get to write with him? I didn't write with him, but um, there was a lot of inspiration there. So, were you starstruck? A little bit, yeah. Like, I don't get starstruck that much outside of, you know, or in it's the all, music industry, yeah. but it's always someone like, oh, man, that's... You're almost like when you do the jobs that we have, you're just kind of required to, like, play it cool around big artists and stuff yeah. like that. But when it comes to athletes or oh, yeah. professional wrestlers... You My know. first license is writing the Miz's theme song. You know the Miz? He's is like that, he's he's like he's the uh, he's WWE he's a WWE champion now. Oh, he and his, and his his um his wife and he are like have a show, and he's like a huge wrestler now. And we were <laughs> hanging around Hollywood, and it was one of those things where he was like, um, he had, he was on Real World, yeah. And when Real World people stop working on Real World, they move to L.A. And, and then after, we that, after that, they moved to Nashville. And after that, they moved to Nashville, right. But we ended up, he was just like, yo, um, I'm starting to do some professional wrestling. Do you want to write my theme song? No way. So my first like license was when they were like, he, he kept doing these road, rule, road rules, real world challenges, and they <laughs> would always play the Miz theme song. Which was like That's my amazing. first. It's my first license. I was just writing it while I was in a band, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna write your theme." So I kept going to all these professional wrestling events. I'm jealous. Yeah, I'll get you tickets. I know people. You know, not that he would be listening, but if Vince McMahon is listening, I'd love to have that opportunity. I don't. I'll give you to a write a theme song. Yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter. I don't even need any money. I don't know if you want to keep that part. <laughs> that, no, I would really do. Don't. I would do yeah. one of the. I'm. I'm not joking. Yeah. Okay. Right. I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pass this along. <laughs> We've um, probably lost our audience at this point. Right. Exactly. So wait. When you're in a. Um, when you're in Pennsylvania and you're you're uh, watching wrestling, mm-hmm. what's your music education like? 
You know, my music was music it the WWE. You had the WWE. Oh, like, I've, got, I've got all those albums. Yeah, the first album, the second album was called Pile Driver. Was that and, was that stuff like influencing you at that point? Musically, were you, I mean, were you, you know, entrance theme and, songs. I guess you know, maybe a little bit, but honestly, my influences at that time were were just what was on popular radio yeah you weren't um, listening to michael jackson in particular or anything not not at that age i mean i guess a little bit because my parents listened to it but but were really, they right were they musicians no mm. they just played the radio uh-huh. and um i mean i know for sure my two big musical influences early on in my life the first tape i ever had was michael jackson thriller say so you've got that and then the first like album I remember hearing that my parents had and played it around the house was the Willie Nelson record. I can't remember the title of it now where he covered like old pop standards. I didn't realize that at the time. I just thought it was country music, but um, Stardust, that was the record. Uh So if you listen to both those records, they're so different. But when I think back on that now, how much both of the, the, that types of music have influenced what I do today. Oh, it's yeah. pretty amazing. And are you listening to this? So then uh, for radio stations, are you listening to just the, pop radio? Just the current pop music and, until I got you know, to junior high and really got into country music. That's when you, when you were in junior Who introduced you to country music? Um, Was that big in where you, where you grew yes, up? Yes. I grew up in rural America, northwestern Pennsylvania, um, outside of a little town called Conneaut Lake. Um, I grew up on a dirt road with my last name Laird wow. Road. I grew up on Laird Road. Who who is was it your grandpa? Yeah. Well, it was I think it was even before him, but yeah, I grew up right next to my grandparents' farm and um just a How many generations back do you have to go to get a road named after you? <laughs> I don't know. I know the farm was in the late 1800s is when that was kind of started there. But and so I think that country music that's once i was old enough to actually when you care about lyrics or listen to them i kind of first of all i thought they were written really well lyrically but i could relate right Um, well that was i was talking to brandy clark where she was saying that she was so much of this music's just not authentic because none of them have grown up on a dirt road right you know and then you actually were brought up on a dirt road so i was i literally grew up on a dirt road and it is still dirt (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you ever go back? Um, yeah, I, I go back um, now. You know, with two kids, it's it's hard to get back there as often as as I'd like. But usually, we go up there about once a year around July fourth. Yeah, yeah nice. it's, the summertime's nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's I've still got lots of family and friends there. So yeah, right now it's freezing and terrible. Yeah, wintertime you don't want to hang out up there. Yeah. Um, so you're in junior high and yep. somebody's like, yo, you got to check out, this is the new, what, what, what album? Like, well, how do you get involved in it? So like, just to back up a couple of years, my first concert I went to was Randy Travis who, and, and it was when he like kind of blew up and got really big. It was at our county fair, the Crawford County fair. It was 1987. My, my aunt and uncle took me to the show and it was kind of the first I'd seen like a, well, it was the first concert I went to, so it had a big impact, but it was really country music, um, and I actually liked it. And uh, So then once I got into seventh grade, that was kind of like when the whole 
like Garth Brooks thing got huge. Like country oh, music yeah. blew up. So it all of a sudden it was like, oh, I, there's some of this music I like, and it was becoming popular as well. So it wasn't as much of a fringe. It w- it was like okay to like it as well, but you know, I just I got into it, started listening to the lyrics. So I'm listening to like Garth Brooks and newer artists, you know, in the '90s like Red Akins and Wade Hayes, but also Cypress Hill. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just the yeah. Because you know, when you're young, you don't you're not thinking yeah, genres. You're just no, like, This this is just music. And to be honest, uh, and then the whole grunge thing was going on at the time. Um, right. Pearl Jam. I remember buying ten on cassette. Uh, but you know, a lot of my friends were kind of in the same boat, just kind yeah. of listening to what was popular. I guess. Were you? kind of curious why these people weren't mixing or was there sort of an awareness of just like that's that's pop music that's grunge that's it, country. it was i was pretty aware and i think even more so than than it is now i mean if you look at kids playlists yeah. it's because well, so, there are record stores yeah exactly so, i mean like and yeah. uh you know it was i wasn't that aware that i mean i was aware that there was a difference but i liked all of it sure and then when did you start writing where you did you come back from that that Randy Travis concert, and you're like, yeah, I can write that song, <laughs> and I'm 12 years old. Or something. no, I, you know, I, I started playing piano when I was like four, and then guitar in first grade, and from that moment, I was writing songs. I didn't realize it at the time, like, oh, these are. It was more like, I guess, like what we would call like a chorus. It was just like, here's right. a chorus, and then as I got junior high, I would write some that were a little more inappropriate, you know, sure. fun, try to show off for your friends and make your parents sweat. But um, I always just made up stuff, made up songs. And When was the first time you recorded a song? Let's see. Okay, this is, when I was in high school, I mean, I always would record on my boombox or whatever. But when I was in high school, my mom, who was a nurse, knew a guy at her at the hospital she worked at who was a maintenance guy. And he had some recording gear Sick. It was like like a he had a proper well not proper I guess yeah a proper cassette recording studio in his basement and she was like hey I'll give you fifty bucks if Luke can come over and record some songs he wrote so I went over there and I had written some awful songs that I hope never resurface um, <laughs> I've got, actually still got a lot of I still write a lot of awful songs but um yeah but now I have I feel like I feel like these, I should be a journalist and find this guy no, and get these recordings no, you, I, and I won't give you names <laughs> um but it was just really like it, it was when I was in high school and I would go over there and and write and record and then he would finish it out like put like a fake bass on it and some fake drums and I thought man this because it sounded clean you know like this is you know this is really good but they didn't have autotune right Right. So when did you go to, did you buy a Tascam thing? Like, were you, was there a point where like, oh, you know what, I can record this. If that wasn't that hard and I'm going to go and. Yeah, you know, I I still just saw myself as such a songwriter. Like, anything to do with the studio was almost kind of intimidating. So I would, was literally just boombox recording. And I, when, when I was. all in, in high school. Yeah. yeah. And when I got into college, a roommate of mine had one of the Tascam four tracks and. Yeah. He would go home on the weekends and he would let me use it. And so then I kind of started getting into recording a little bit, but it was very amateur hour. Um, and I didn't really get into recording myself or doing all that until a couple years after I had a publishing deal. I was just like, I'm just a writer. 
my guitar, my notebook. That's all I need. Can you can you sing? You don't have to sing right now, literally. But yeah. can, can, do you have the actual first songs like in your head? Do you remember them? Um, unfortunately, yes. What's kind the of. first song called? Well, the, the very fir- there's one I wrote in fifth grade called "The Thing Out of the Zipper." The thing out of the zipper. Yeah. So you can you can imagine what that is. <laughs> awesome. I hope my parents listen to this. Right. My sisters will get a kick out of that too. Right. So hey, that, would you just walk around the house singing? Oh yeah. Well, see, I had a Casio keyboard, one right. of those that you know had the pre-programmed beats in it, yeah. and um, and <laughs> you could yeah, it was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you can yeah. pick pop rock or you know you know yeah. bossa nova. <laughs> but um. I literally would, you could record in, you know, a sequence, whatever you wanted. So I'd play like chords on a really bad synth sounding yeah. thing, GCD to a beat and let that loop. And then I would um, <laughs> go you were like, my guitar, play it and sing. You were a long Sharon before thing out of, Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got nothing on, on yeah. this. On young Luke Blair. Yeah. And, and, right. So I would literally, gosh, just play just awful. God, it's I'm sweating thinking about it, but it was you know it was fun. I just was so passionate about music. How does it go? The thing out of the, I, I can't <laughs> almost. Okay, so you go and uh, you graduate high school in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and you go to Middle Tennessee State. Yes. And did you study music? I, they have a music business program there, and I just knew that um, I had visited Nashville between. The summer between my sophomore and junior year with of my, high school, yeah, okay. we went on a family vacation, yeah. and that was the first time. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but I saw a show at the Bluebird Cafe and saw these writers. It was the first time I saw like real songwriters playing songs that they had written, and I knew these songs, and I was just fascinated. I was like, wow, that. It, it, it and it's what the, you've been doing. Yeah. You just didn't even realize you were it, doing it. And it put the thought in my head, like, wow, they this is their job. Like, this is what I want to do. And um, so my parents were always very supportive. But like I said, they didn't do any music. So they, of course, wanted me to go to college. And my mom found out about MTSU having a, um, a recording industry program. So that was the only school I applied to. There couldn't be a bunch of recording no music school. business. Yeah, there weren't a ton of those at the time. I mean, no, maybe Belmont, and Bel- maybe there. In Belmont, you know, their location was great, but but to be honest, the the cost, the the difference in cost, I just it just made sense to go to MTSU. Yeah. So, and it was great. I had a great experience. I did their music business program, um, but I was writing songs all through school. I would come up to Nashville and um, play open mic nights and right. do all that. How old were you when you played the Bluebird the first time as, um, as a writer? As like a like a real writer? <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's go well, with you not know, a real writer. They do they do like an they they do this thing where you can go in and put your name in a hat. Yeah. If you get drawn, if you get drawn, you can go up. I, I did that thing, so it didn't matter how much your song sucked, you would get to play. I did that once. That was how old like were you on at that, that point. That was like I was like seventeen. Yeah. Like it did was, people did people there because there are some professional like people I, who are probably there watching. I don't think so. I think that they you think that that's what happens, uh, but most of those people don't come to the open mic night. Right. But it was. I thought it was good, but at the time you just think, well, if you can put a song together, man, it's pretty. You know, I don't know a lot of people that can put a song together. It's got a verse and a chorus. Mm-hmm. And so, but then they have this thing where, and I 
I'm assuming they still do it, but where it's like an audition process. You go in, you play a verse and a chorus for a panel of one judge or whatever, somebody who's in the music business. And if it's good enough, then they call you back and say, okay, you're going to get to come perform three songs on this particular night. I did that. And that was like, right, I think right as I got into college or I think it was like right when we we first moved down. But then after that, of course, now I've played it a zillion times since, but it's it's a huge deal. I still have like the letter, and back then it was before. I mean, email was was around, but they would send you this letter. You hey, you passed the audition process. You get to come. Like it's a huge deal. <laughs> it was a huge deal for you know. I thought it was just one of those little things that happened. You're like, huh, this might it was like moving in a positive direction. Did you think you were going to be an artist? Mm-mm. I, I enjoyed like playing the writers' nights and that, but. I think I figured out pretty quickly um, how much more I liked the creative process as opposed to being on the stage. And then once I was in the full-blown music scene, there's just I also realized there's people who are way more talented and better singers and performers and that than me. So I never really like went for it as an artist. And I've you know I've been fortunate enough to get to work with a lot of great artists and kind of find what my thing how I can help you know yeah I think that was one of the things that bothered me as I got older was realizing mm-hmm. that when you grow up not in Nashville or LA mm-hmm. you kind of think that that if you're a singer they just push you towards you should then be the one on stage mm-hmm. there are actually like a lot of careers that you can have being yeah creative in not just music but in all the art forms right. it doesn't mean you have to go and perform and I I was a, a, a good enough performer along the way to get record deals, but yeah. I didn't mean that I loved it. Yeah, I really loved the writing. I didn't realize though, that you could make a living at that. Even as I was getting record deals and going through the process, I didn't know that you could actually go and spend a career I being that, a studio guy. Well, yeah, and I think that happens a lot. You know, as a as a young person, you think. Oh, that would be awesome to get to go tour, and it and it yeah. would be, you know, and all that. But all of a sudden, you realize, wow! There, first of all, there's a tiny percentage of people who make it as a big star, and just because someone has a record deal, like we all know that. No, not that it doesn't mean anything, but it's there, there's so many things that have to fall into place for it for you to really make it. Um, but as a songwriter, a producer, you can kind of go in and out of these different rooms and reinvent yourself you know if if you write a song that tanks on the chart that's not necessarily the end of your career it could be the end of the artist's career right but and you know you hope you're not the one who writes that but (laughs) but it's i don't know you it's it's cool to kind of be behind the scenes and yeah there's no doubt i've I've released songs or artists have released songs of mine that didn't go as well as the label had hoped and i don't know where what happened to the artist i know you know yeah but i mean the other thing is also is a i can't think of another time or another you have to be adele or ed sheeran Mm -hmm. or you know, Bieber to compete with the writer. Well, that's in in pop, but to compete with the writers who have three, four songs yeah. in the top forty at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you can actually have that, and you can't do that as a writer, even if right. you're featured on things. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, but as a writer, you can be, you know, 
And I know you've, we'll get to that, but I know you've had those months where it's probably like every song for <laughs> a half hour of songs you wrote. But um, when you're in college, you start uh, working for Brooks and Dunn's mm-hmm. tour manager. Yes. Right? Yeah. So you, when you're on the road with them, well, first of all, how did you get that gig? And then when you were on the road, were you writing or were you trying to like slip people demos? Like, did you know what no. you were doing yet? I mean, I was writing, yes, but I was I was very careful about you know trying to angle my way into the thing about those guys were great to work for, and um, I had actually met Ronnie Dunn through his da- daughter, who I was in college with, and we actually dated for a while, but that's. Right. You know, and and she was awesome and and he he was just like when I was getting ready to graduate school, he said, "Do you have a job yet?" you know, and I was like, "No." And he knew that I wanted to be a songwriter, but obviously I hadn't been offered a publishing deal, and so he said, "Why don't you come out on the road with us?" And um so I went out there and didn't know anything about the road. Um but they, I learned so much, and they they were great to learn from. I got to see how the whole live side of the music business, because that's a, another thing a lot of people don't know, that there's this whole other world within live music. I didn't know about it. And so I went out there, and we would be on the road from like Thursday to Sunday, and I would get up really early every morning and go find, like, like if we were at the venue, go find like a dressing room that wasn't being used and write songs. So then when I got off the road, I could go into publishers back on Music Row and play them new songs. Did you ever play them songs? Or even not the slipping? The, I mean, he knew you wanted to do no, it. No, I it really just, didn't. You were just professional. About, yeah. You knew already at the time how to be professional. Yeah, I, I kind of figured out, like, if you... That, that's the thing, you know, that if a couple people told me, and I still believe this is true in Nashville, not that you don't want to hustle and try to make it happen, but... In Nashville, it is still such a songwriter town. There are these places that do open mic writer nights. If you are really talented and have really good songs, people find out. It's like a small enough town. Um, So I just knew if I kept working hard and I had made just enough connections like to get in front of people who are actually in the scene to, you know, kind of give me good feedback and... I knew I was on the right track. And then I also told those guys um, working for them, if I did get offered a publishing deal, then I was going to not be working for them anymore. Um, and they were totally cool with that. And so I just used it as a great like learning experience. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great job to have. So you get back and, and when is, that's like early 2000s. Yeah, right? that was in like uh, 2001 and 2002. Right. And then you then you get a you get a publishing deal pretty quick after that, right? Well, I you know the first time I played for a publisher, first of all, there was a writer um, in Nashville who I knew. Um, he was from my hometown. I didn't actually know him then, but my mom and dad did, and we got introduced. And his name's Bill Luther. And in in the late nineties, early two thousands, he had, actually had a significant amount of big hits: Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney, all, all these people. He you know, really um, encouraged me because I'd played him a few songs and he, you know, he thought they were good enough to at least get a shot at a publishing deal. So he introduced me to who would eventually become my first publisher, and that was Chris Oglesby at BMG. Um, So the first time I played for Chris was probably like during my junior year of college. I didn't get offered a publishing deal until 
I was a year out of school, so right. I would anytime I had new songs, I'd go in and play for him. He introduced me to other great publishers in Nashville, um, a guy named Scott Gunner, Carla Wallace, who runs Big Yellow Dog, and these people were all encouraging. I my songs just weren't good enough at the time to get. Did you know that? That they or was it frustrating? Yeah, I it, mean, it, like it was. You know, it was a little frustrating, but it was. There was enough encouragement that. Yeah. I was like, okay, I just need to keep working harder. And at this point, too, it was just all songs I was writing by myself. Right. Um, so I didn't really start co-writing until I had a publishing deal. Right. I mean, all you need for as an artist is hope. Yeah, exactly. Because <clears throat> it just keeps you going. And I think everybody who has a point of struggling is just because somebody says along the way, like, hey, yo, man, just stick with it. You got yeah. like that's a that's it's a true. pretty close song. It's like you know, like keep going, keep going. I mean. It's hard to find those people that yeah. are that are encouraging even when you're not great yet. Yeah, you know, it's it's it. it I've learned it is definitely a skill or a, a talent or a gift for people who really can recognize potential, um, who can see it before it's fully developed. Yeah. Um, and there are, you know, we call them in Nashville song people, like people who just know good songs and know good talent in its in its rawest form and can see see it becoming and it's like an AR yeah. person you know and to see it before we we interviewed Mike Karen mm-hmm. and one of the he's one of those guys who always would find these hooks in the middle of Iowa yeah and just you know they, he doesn't care if you're who you are as a writer he'll just say that's a hit chorus yeah i'm going to use that chorus and make airplanes for BOB out of it yeah. you know what i mean it's like the guys who just aren't don't care at all right you know I'd, it's an incredible talent. Do you have it that? It really is. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, can uh, you hear somebody who's totally unsigned on everything and be and say, "Yeah, that's that's enough talent that that I supersedes think so. everything." I think so. Um, I think you have to be able to hear those. Like, even if you hear a song that might might not be a hit, but you can hear those things within a the way a person writes that are just unique enough that like it's those things that right. kind of like oh that's it's like catches your ear it doesn't sound just like a carbon copy of what's on the radio right um and that's what's exciting like or like that's like hearing an artist who has a thing in their voice you're like what you know it kind of almost you're like is that wait what is that yeah it's weird yeah. yeah, and that's what we're. I feel like we're always looking for. I, sure. and, and in writing songs, I try to do that too. Like, if you write something that's, I don't know, that just sounds like a hit, it's like okay, cool. But like, what is that little thing that's unique that's gonna make it stand out from all the other zillions of songs that get written every day? Totally. You get your deal two thousand two, and then, from what I can tell, I mean, between two thousand two. I know you had songs that came out in 2007, and there's one in between yeah. that I saw. But like, you have a five year span there. Yeah. Oh, I literally had one cut. Um, let's see, two, signed in 2002. I, every year, I'm praying to you know get picked up on my publishing deal. Um, my first release was in 2005. It was an album cut on Leanne Womack. and then my first single um, wasn't until 2007. What happens between that? I mean, are you getting another job to subsidize, or is the publishing deal enough that you can at least pay for a room somewhere, or what? It was it was just enough, right? <laughs> you know, 
and deals that, that's the other thing publishing deals are different everywhere like i know in la a lot it's like cut and release right and what that, do you mean well like are a lot of the deals in la like how does it work because in nashville the kind of almost the standard way is you get an advance right a drop front but it's like a yearly right advance right with a, with a song like quota you, yeah right and so the options up every year for the publisher to drop you, but at the end of the three or four year term, you can get out too, even if you haven't, you know. Right. Yeah. We have an MDRC situation, yeah. right? Which is basically means that if you you have to release X amount of songs per term, or you right. get. And I mean, I'll straight up you know, tell you, like my first publishing deal it. was, they offered me. Twelve thousand dollars for a year, right? Um, and I was just honest. I was like, "Well, I can't really live off that." Um, I'm, sh- you know, I could have found a way, like get another job. But if I'm going to do this, I want to do this full time. So I'll just keep the publishing and like, find a job. And until and they're like, "Well, okay, we'll, we'll double it." I thought, eh, "Yeah, twenty four grand," you know. Yeah. And I that was I thought I was just and I was I was living the dream for real because I was getting paid to write songs sure. and I just it's like one of the most exciting days of my life you know getting offered a publishing deal like wow they think I'm good enough to to fund your to music pay me for- to to, <laughs> yeah. to do what I did in my bedroom as a kid so mm-hmm. I I always think it's weird that in my in my 20s, when I'm really sort of struggling mm-hmm. to get by, getting the publishing deals, that mm-hmm. kind of thing to stay afloat, it was there was always some way that I was out partying, drinking, having fun, <laughs> and eating food. But I don't know how I did because I don't know how yeah. I didn't have enough money to pay rent. Right. But I was always <laughs> having fun and still drinking, you know? I did a lot of that too, and yeah. that's why I had to quit. Yeah, you've been sober for a while, right? Yes, for since I was twenty-seven. So, um, is there is there a correspondence between quitting drinking and this? oh, absolutely? The year I stopped drinking, um, let's see, two thousand five. You know, that's I, when you have your first cut. You were saying, yep. Yeah. Um, but I think that just the focus was more there after that. I was having fun and like, but I never was thinking of, hey, what if this doesn't work out? You know, I, I need right. to get serious. And so after I stopped drinking, I just was more passionate about music. Like I spent more time on it. And, um, and really. Did somebody tell you, like, hey, man, you got to stop drinking? Well, I think after doing 48 hours in jail. Ah. Uh, that kind of, <laughs> you know, I mean, I hey, I said I wanted to write country songs. So. Right. How did that happen? Was, what did you it, do? I had my second DUI. All uh, right. So it was a real like wake up moment, and yeah. um, and so I just thought, you know what? What am I doing here? You just needed some credibility. Is the problem? Yeah, I was trying to get that street cred. Right. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah. in two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I said in the intro that you have 22 number one songs, and I'm pretty sure that that is as many number one singles as all of our previous guests combined. Um, so, um, 
it's going to be hard to go through, so I'm going to do kind of like a speed through oh, along yeah. with along with some other questions as we go. It's fine. I'm just doing yeah. some highlights. Okay. Okay. But first of all, when did you meet Hillary Lindsay? Because mm. clearly, like, 2005, you guys yes. write together. She, she is- and I, Hillary and I, um, the first time we wrote was in 2004. Um, Who I'm, introduced you guys? The, that same writer I told you about, Bill Luther. Yeah. Um, what are he, the odds that two people from your town end up becoming professional writers? Not I mean, good. how many people are from 700 that town? 700 people. So crazy. So it's not good odds. Yeah, right. It's nuts. But, um, so anyway, he introduces you to Hillary. Yes, Benson. and we write, actually ended up writing the song that was on Leon Romack's album called Painless. On that first, yes, first writing? Yes, on the first uh, writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, you know, we met and we hit it off and then Hillary and I ended up writing a lot of songs, just the two of us. And then. Did she have cuts at that point? Yes. She, I think she wrote, um, she had already had like a number one or, or a couple because I still remember her, like she said her first number one when she was like 24, 25. Yeah. But um, you're not producing out these records yet. Cause I don't think, right? Nope. So you're just writing demos and and sending in tapes. Yeah, it's crazy. Because I mean, you guys end up having going on this insane run. Yeah, you know, Hillary's. You know, I got to write with Carrie Underwood because of her, and as well as Chris Oglesby, who was helping set up Carrie's calendar. But you know, Carrie's first record, first album was massive, like seven seven or eight million albums sold. So for me to get that opportunity on the second one. When I have zero hits, um, you know, first of all, I thank Carrie a lot because for taking a chance on me, but also like obviously Hillary because, you know, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been in that room. Um, yeah. Because, but it was because of what you guys did in 2004. Yeah, it was the songs then, we had written yeah. um, that, you know, get the attention. Did she, so small and last name are, you know, your first really big records. Yeah. And those are both with Hillary. Were they mm-hmm. written? They were written then, you know, sometime before 2007, before yeah. people are working on the Carrie Underwood album, sure. I assume, right? Yeah, we probably wrote the, I mean, I guess, I don't know if that was in 06. But she um, then plays these records, and it's just sort of like, yeah, those are, those are going to yeah. be huge. We'll, we want to cut those. And yes. then all of a sudden, you're part of the scene. Right. So I, you know, and I, after that with Carrie, then, you know, before the next record of, I had the opportunity to work with her again, and um, and in the meantime, you know, it brings more opportunities too because oh, you're on a song that people actually know. Right, we can get you in a room with new art or whatever. Right, does it change your writing process? Not like, re- do you feel any pressure when all of a sudden you're like, okay, here's? I felt more. Yeah, I, you know, I still feel pressure, but not in a. I don't know. It's a more. I'm more confident now, but my confidence is more like. Not the pressure that it's all on me. Um, when I get, go into a room with an artist, like I know, like I've had enough success that it's like, okay, if this just goes terrible, I don't think my career is over. But I don't know. I feel like I'm always learning new things. And, yeah. and it's being confident to not have to do everything. Right. You know? Right. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, I'm going to skip through 2008, but 2009, um, you start writing with Natalie Hemby and mm-hmm. Barry Dean. Yes. Do you start thinking about Creative Nation at that point? No way. 2009. I, I mean, no, I don't think so. Because no. you start writing with the people that you end up that end up being I'm, part of, right? You know your no, future. We, I wasn't thinking about that. I was, um, you know, I just first of all, I love the both of them as people, but their songs. I'm just they're amazing songwriters. Sure. And so working with when you get to work with like your best friends and you think they're like two of the best songwriters, it's like. It's so much fun. Wait, so they were you were friends with them before you were writing, or <clears throat> you know, how does I, that happen? Well, Barry and I um, first met going back to 2002. The publisher Chris Oglesby signed both of us at the same time. You know, really the same month. But Barry had had a whole other career in yeah, Kansas. His, his I mean, his story. Is awesome. He yeah. He's, yeah. But we we just met and we just really liked each other's people. But we didn't write for a couple of years sure. until you know. I mean, just because you know other writers, it just it doesn't always mean you're supposed to work together. But I think we were both fans of what what each other did, and so when we first wrote, we just hit it off, and it was right. so easy to work with him. And Natalie, I actually I had heard um, a CD of some of her songs from her publisher at the time and I was just like everyone else I feel like that hears her for the first time just in immediately because her songs are so cool and quirky and, and, and her, her voice, her is, voice yeah. is ridiculous and like, yeah she just has a delivery that's Even she's in such an artist yeah her demos are like are just out of control yeah yeah. so I was like yeah I want to work with that person <laughs> totally did you know Beth yet? Beth Laird yes your- Beth and I, we uh, this is always kind of a funny story or a neat story, but um, we met that same month. I had my first cut released in two thousand five. She got her first like proper job in the music business as a receptionist at BMG. That's how we met. So I start kind of hanging out up there by the desk a little right. bit, and you know, hey, what's what are you doing? You know, and um, <clears throat> later that year we started dating and been going strong ever since, but. She went on after that to have a few other jobs, um, working at Windswept Publishing and then eventually BMI. Um, and then, when did you guys get married in there? We got married in 2010, so okay. that was like a year before we started Creative Nation. Right. Was that sort of that you guys are like, let's get married and take over the world? Was no. that like in your vows? You know, no, like, not at all. I mean, I think I do start a publishing company. We were just here. like, how can we? 
just do continue to do what we want to do the way we want to do it. Yeah, of and, course. Um, you know, fortunately, it was at a at a point in my career where I could sell a catalog, and we're like, let's take this money and bet on ourselves. And so, she w- had been at BMI for five years, and we just thought this would be a good time to go out and start our own thing. Was that scary to spend money? Oh on, yeah. On, on your, I mean, I like the idea of spending money on myself, but it, it, I'm I'm terribly frightened to. to- it is. Hire people. Yeah, it, it it is. It's a risk. But, you know, we had a couple of different offers from some other companies. And, I, and we just kind of had a real heart-to-heart one night. And we were both like, look, if these other big companies are willing to take a chance on us, why don't we just bet on ourselves? You know, we can right. do it. Um, I was like, if it fails, I I don't think that... I mean, I don't think we'll be completely broke, maybe, right. but it'll take longer to get broke. Yeah. And so, yeah. so we just bet on ourselves, and we're still doing that every day. Yeah. Um, and it gets addicting once you once it starts to work. Yeah, it's you know, there's been just enough stuff going on, and we've had the opportunity to work with some other great songwriters, and we just keep going. Well, before we get to the start of Creative Nation, yeah. 2010, 2011, that's when you kind of start getting all the accolades. It's like the CMA Triple Play Award a couple times. Mm-hmm. And is that changing your motivation? Is that, you know, at that point, your motivation's just like, oh, I just want to get songs released still. You're not thinking, you know, I, I don't know what you, what happens when you start, when you're consistently. Like hits. Yeah, you're talking about not just like, one hit every so often. You're talking about, you know, five, ten kind of hits. Well, know, it's in, in it's weird because it just, in a way, it like felt like it took so long, but then it felt like it happened so fast. And you know, I mean, I'd like to think some of that is that I've be, become a better writer than I used to be. Of course. And it, you know, writing is like a it's exercising a muscle. So you're there's things that we do as writers now that are almost second nature that back in the beginning, you know, weren't. And I, and I always right. say like your radar, like maybe your hit radar is better the more you're in the game and and you have to be in it continually doing it to stay relevant and working with new people. And I think so much, so what's so important, one thing that people forget is just that your schedule, like how are you spending your time and... um that's why it's great to have like a great publisher or manager or somebody who's really protecting how you spend your days because yeah. there's only so many days in a week and you know you have to take when to take a chance on trying something new that you know maybe not be a sure, for sure thing to also trying to work with you know the biggest people in the business at the time. Well, that staying relevant thing yeah. is is the <clears throat> when you're talking about how important it is to um, bet on yourself. Yeah. And it's like the hard part is when you're betting on that artist that where the floor is non-existent because they don't even exist yet. Yeah. You know, and you're talking that, that thing is what's scary because it's really easy. You could probably work with the classics who oh, are yeah. still doing albums. You could work, do a whole schedule with the greatest artists of all time who aren't really selling units anymore, but it right. just. It looks cool or feels cool, but you're like, mm. man, I mean, how many, t- this sounds terrible, but it's almost like how many times can you visit that museum 
Mm-hmm. You know, and you like you feel terrible about it because you're like, how am I turning down this gig? Yeah, I loved this artist, but if you only go for the artist with the really high floor, yeah, you know, you like you know they're going to sell some units, yeah, but you know that they're not going to like it's not going to move the needle, right? The thing that moves the needle is if you keep betting on yourself, and that's mm-hmm. like it's so hard. It is, um, but for me, it's really hard. But it's the most exciting thing, like working with a new artist who no one's heard of or you know i mean like the the outside world has sure. it and and you just know sitting in that room i mean a lot of a lot of different things have to fall into place but you know this could be like the next big thing and that's yeah. what's exciting and that's why we write songs too i feel like if if we all wanted a for sure thing we would not do this business for right. sure and some days you're like why am i doing this but, right but that's what keeps it so exciting because literally you can wake up that day and like there's the chance that we could write just a song that's going to change the world or at least make people dance at the club. Well, the club that we... <laughs> the we, club that I that, never go to. That we never go to. But and it's weird though because I think people probably assume, you know, when you've had 22 number one songs, they assume their 23rd is inevitable. Mm-hmm. And that's it's just not. like you got to be kidding me! Like yeah. that twenty second one was really difficult. It was just as difficult, oh. if not harder, than maybe the third one, yeah. you know, or whatever numbers they yeah. go. It's like you don't know. There's no one. There's no guarantee you're going to have another hit ever. And you, the assumption from the outside sort of perspective is that the hit writers, oh yeah, yeah, well they get in the room, so then they can have the hit. Well, no. They, they don't. No label wants to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. on your average song just because your name is on it. You know, it's so true. I mean, there are no guarantees. And I had a writer say to me, somebody who um, I'm friends with, who's having a lot of success right now, a lot of hits. They said to me, "What are you going to do? Like when it, when they stop? Like when the hits stop?" I'm like, "Well, that's that is going to happen." Yeah. I know Hall of Fame songwriters that it's happened to, and it's going to happen to me. And and to me, like, like I don't want that to happen, but I know it's inevitable. And so, I really try to um, just enjoy the process. And like, I like I'm I'm a competitive person, um, but I I try to just really enjoy like the just wake up and what is in front of me that day. Try to do the best, write the best song I can. And just really try to enjoy it because, like, you know that moment in a room. Like, here's the thing. Like, having a number one song is amazing. It feels good. And, like, in Nashville, they really celebrate number one. I mean, it it really is. We we get, I mean, I feel like almost too much praise, you know, sometimes. Um, But it's, it's an exciting thing. But to me, there's nothing better than that feeling of when, first of all, there's nothing more terrifying than when you go into a room with somebody new and like like oh i hope i don't suck and like i hope i can come up with something but then there's nothing better than feeling that feeling of once you know you've got the idea going and it's just like it's such a great feeling even if the song's not done it's like you got the hook or something like that you're like oh man we got we got this and it's you can't describe that um part of the creative process you just can't compare it to anything else it's the best i mean there's nothing there's nothing that Staring at a chart isn't going to make you no, happy. Absolutely you not. Know? I obviously only have one country hit of any sort. Oh yeah, and they sent uh, they sent the billboard or whatever the poster that they put mm-hmm. outside the you know Warner Chapel. Yes, and it's like I have I have this six 
foot by ten foot thing in a in a giant tube. I love it. And it's like in my garage, and you're like, where? What do I do with this? I, I mean, mean, just put it on the house, I guess. You just just on the outside of like a song yeah. from on the three four door. years ago. Just be yeah. like, yeah, you just in that? case you guys forgot. That's the other thing you have to like doing this. People forget really fast. Like, yeah. no one knows how many number ones you have unless it's you or right. or your wife. So that's the other thing. It 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 comes and goes so fast. So you just have to enjoy the moment. And I, you know, I don't know. Legacy is really stupid. I always feel like oh. like the idea that if you ask kids now who Paul McCartney is and they don't know who Paul McCartney is, it's like it's a lost cause. Whatever I do. If it's, I'm trying, if I'm if I'm concerned about them knowing yeah. me, it's not. That's not how that works. I mean, the thing is, doing this or anything, yeah, the whole legacy thing. I mean, you. I just want to do good work, and um, I mean, I hope my legacy is that I was a good husband and a good dad. Because at the end of the day, like you want to do well in your career, but. I'm, yeah. not, no, no amount of number ones or hit songs or dollars is gonna fulfill that, you know, because it's a it's a fleeting thing. So, just getting to be part of it is really the win, you know. Yeah, I mean that's a dr- it's a drug it in that really sense is. because it, yeah. you know, you're it's just exciting. gonna be chasing that adrenaline. Yeah. But let's go to 2012. So um, uh, you get songwriter of the year. That's is pretty rad. Um, you have. Uh, take a back road, which wins song of the year. Yeah, um, and then pontoon breaks little big town. Yeah, drinking my hand. I guess that doesn't break Eric Church, but it's kind of like I mean, one was, of his biggest. Yeah, it was not, his first number one. Oh, it's his which first, was so it does kind of break. It. Well, I mean, he look. He I mean, he's still be, big. Without that song, he'd still be who. <laughs> right. Um, I can't fool myself. You here. you breaks Chris Young. I don't know. It broke him, but it was a big hit. It, I mean, the difference of being the guy who's writing the the hit song again, like for like the established artist, yeah. Versus this sort of puts you on the on the page it, of like a, you have the ability to break number like a number of artists. I, I I like the challenge of it, and here and here's the thing: you don't know what's going to work or not, but it's exciting when you get to be part of an artist for like this last year. This a guy. Um, John Party. Yeah. Like getting getting to be part of his first number one song was exciting because I knew he had the ability to do it. But like you said, there's just no guarantees. I mean, I know a lot of just crazy talented people who've never had one number one song. And right. it's it's just not a given. When you do pontoon, that's with Barry and Natalie. Is that the beginning of creative if that's after they're part of Creative Nation? No. But that I, I kind of look at it look at it like the, the beginning beginning of of Creative Nation only because like first of all Creative Nation doesn't own that song but that was like the first song that Beth pitched uh, like once we were starting our own thing and so it was just one of those like that whole timing was re- was really cool that song was taken off and um, we were starting Creative Nation and Barry was you know like the first writer we had. Um, we ended up signing, and Natalie was after that. Yeah, but you know, it's fun when you can work with your friends, and yeah, it's so cool. It, it really is. 
And that song shows it. Like, you don't write that song if you don't like the people you're in a oh, session gosh. with. There's no. no way you're writing those lyrics if you're like, I really want to get out of this room. No. And I can't wait for this to be over. Let's just let's just say this is a good chorus and move on. Like, yeah, you can't do on, that in no. Pontoon. That thing is like, you guys gosh. are having... Oh, man, we had a blast. Yeah. Um, you also write with Neo that year. That's your first release with like is that that's like your kind of I guess you've had you had had some pop releases, but that's like an A list. That was one. That, yeah, I mean, an A list pop artist that you're now writing. Now you're starting to like cross over. Was that the goal? Yeah, when, it was, was kind of. Well, I mean, I just want to work on music that I that I like, you know. And that was like one that I got to co write and and produce. You got um, to co write with Neo. Yeah, it was just like, right? You know, I actually met him through Carrie Underwood. Okay, he he had I think reached out to to her camp about working together, and then she pulled me in on the right. So the three of us wrote a song that's never been released that I still really like. Um, but then his manager, my called guess is, you could still release that, and that would still do very well. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, a that's a, an amazing it, duo. It's a, it's a cool song. Um, but then his manager called and asked if I wanted to come to Miami to work with him. So I actually went the down there as a producer. Um, Not as a as were they like yo play us some tracks? Yeah. So it was like like I think when I first met him, he didn't even he thought I was just the producer because you know in that world it's like your track guy or top line. But with what I do, it's kind of like. You're a songwriter. What do I need to do? You know, right. so like if I need to make the track, I'll do it. If you don't want my beats, I'll write. Well, I like that when, uh, I mean, you get it in the beginning of Pontoon. You get the idea that like <laughs> here's here's like this quirky way to treat, you know, a mandolin, right? Is that what it's on the front yeah. of it? Man, you know, that, that was actually played by Jed Hughes. Okay. Um, I didn't come up with that, that, dun, 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 but... I, I, I'll, I'll have to, after we do this, I should play you the demo because yeah. it is so dirty and raw and simple. I mean, we haven't done that many songs together, but the songs that we have have been like, yeah. you're you're doing beatboxing and you're you're playing I'm, guitar and kind of roughing up like some I'm weird synth catch, and you're, it doesn't yeah. sound like, it's not at all what you would think, you know, a you, country producer in quotes right. would do to, to show off a song. Well, the other thing is too, I've found too, if you can make something unique, like a demo unique, that's what's going to catch an artist's ear. If it's just a straight-up professional-sounding... Like, yes, it may sound like a hit. It could be on the radio, but sometimes you want to do... But it do, might sound stock. Because yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's also what you're trying to do dated. lyrically, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, yeah. yeah. So I just try to have fun with it and just... I don't think about the technical aspect, if something's distorted, what you know... Right, if of course. it's just getting the feeling across, it kind of needs to sound like when you're recording on yeah. a Tascam back yes. in college. Yeah, so that way someone's like, "Oh yeah, that sounds oh, yeah. real." Yeah, I mean, exactly. when you're going down to to Miami, are you actually um, you come prepared with some tracks? I have a few like things started, but I also just am ready to start from scratch. Yeah, um, and that's when you guys wrote. Mm-hmm. It sounds like something kind of yeah. It's personal. very yeah. It was just. That was one of those songs that didn't need a lot of bells and whistles. Yeah. And, um, yeah. In 2013, it looks like you uh, you actually started producing a bunch of records that you didn't write. Is that were you doing that before that? Like, seems not like really. I just kind of fell into that for some reason. 
I mean, it's strange because because of the demos that you're doing before, yeah. you know, they're they're all these unique records, and then they become these unique masters because of it. And then all of a sudden, yeah. people are like, "Yo, you should do." Yeah, and it's it's that's one of those tricky things because you know, you could I could easily go out and just try to seek out a lot of production gigs, but that's not what I moved to Nashville to do. I moved right. to be the create creator and write the songs and yeah. Um, so it's a. I enjoy production a lot, and I, but at the same time, it, it's just uh, it's more like my idea of producing is like being in the room with, while we're writing it and kind of going from there. Right, of course. As opposed to just taking a song, I've done it from someone, and then okay, go right do your thing. Um, you release one of those nights downtown. Um, uh, somebody's heartbreak, uh, beat the summer, get me some of that. You have a bunch of other number one songs, and then you have Casey Musgraves mm-hmm. and Shane McNally. Yeah, that was um... like of all the songs that I just listed that were number ones at that point, you kind of just have like a stable of like that's part of like life mm-hmm. and your day job in a weird sort of way. Yeah. Sure. And then you have something that you put, you actually are with an artist before it really yes. happens. You executive produce it yep. along with Shane or Shane yeah. produces it with you, writes yeah, it with you. Yeah, we both produced and wrote that. And, and Casey too. I mean, it was it was really a group effort. I met Casey. Um, Beth actually, had my wife had worked, was working at BMI. And um, in all her time there, she came home and, and she's meeting with new writers every day and only ever told me about two people <laughs> in five years. One was Casey Musgraves and one was Brett Eldridge. But Casey, um, she's like, this girl, Casey, I think you'd really like her. She's, We put her on this show tonight over at the basement, which is this club in Nashville, bar in Nashville. And so I went and that was the first time I saw Casey, just her and her guitar um, with some other writers as well. But I was... I was just blown away by her songwriting and as well as I I liked her delivery and kind of almost how understated but really talented um and so we met after that and just started writing songs together doing demos and then Casey and Shane and I started writing together Had you worked with Shane before that? I'd only written like one song with him. So this was just you know we this, we, this we was should Ka- do this project together the, all of the, us. That, that it was Casey totally orchestrated it. She's like she came to me and him separately and like, I want you guys to produce and work on my record. And she didn't have a record deal yet, but we were both such big fans. I'm like, I, I was like, I'm honored, but if it's going to keep you from getting a deal, like if they want you to work with Tony Brown or something, I don't want to stop that, you know, because I just like yeah. writing songs. But was that, is like, that like self-deprecation or you really thought like, no, you know, I, was, I just want to write the songs, you know, I no, don't have I to I was dead serious. I want to... Um, I just wanted to do what was ever going to get her to the next level. And so I didn't want to hold that back because I liked the stuff we were doing. I wanted to make sure it was going to get heard. I mean, but but to get heard also, it's like here's a, a woman releasing an album in an era of country that has like, you know, Carrie Underwood and mm-hmm. Miranda Lambert. And that's about it. I mean, I know like, you know, obviously Little Big Town and, and Lady Antebellum and, you know, there are some women who are on radio, but for the most part it's like two women and then it's yeah. a slew of dudes. 
Like, are you nervous at all? It's like, you know, no, man, this girl's I just dope. Like, like, let's just yeah, do it. I, I literally was like, I just, this music inspires me. And she's such a phenomenal songwriter that I knew it was unique. So I'm, I'm like, if it never does anything, I'll never regret spending time on totally. this. Because I love it. And that's how I feel like with any new artist that I work with. Right, of course. In 2014, you have Give Me Back My Hometown, which is one of my favorites. American Kids, huge record. And there's so many. Sunshine Whiskey, Mean to Me. Um, I mean, you start winning all kinds of things that you didn't win before. I mean, you're. Mm-hmm. it sort of brings you to even another level that probably you weren't expecting to exist. You win mm-hmm. Best Country Album with Casey. You know, you get the Triple Play Award again and um, another CMA song, song of the Year. You get ACM winner for Album of the Year. You get all these things. You get the nominated for Songwriter of the Year, a uh, song I wish I would have written award, a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, at this point, is are you, you're now, like, starting a family at, during this time, right? When was that? <laughs> I don't know, 2014? Yeah, so our first son, Jake, was born in 2013. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like... I think I guess all that was going on, but I don't feel differently as far as still kind of working at the same pace. Um, just things were happening, you know. It's weird because it is. It's so nice once you actually make money doing this. You're like, oh, I can probably drag this out for a few more years. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's I, a I, uniform I, feeling too. I think. Right. Yeah. Because oh. it's that thing of you know the faucet's going to turn off, that thing of like sure. you know that they're going to say, you know, yeah. sorry, bro, your your songs are not really good anymore. It's not, yeah. You're it's like, how long can I do this before they figure me out? <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I feel like I've been fooling people for years. But yeah. but still, you know, getting to do it, and I, 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 my approach is still the same as it's always been. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I've picked up little things on the way, but... It's the same. In 2015, you're kind of part of the huge like Luke Bryan <laughs> next level thing. I mean, as far as artists go, mm-hmm. I don't he, know if there's a bigger artist in the last 10 years. Right now, he's really you know at the top of the game in, in country music, and you know sells out everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I had written some songs with him, and you know, fortunately, had one on his last record and one on this record it's you know i haven't had tons of luke cuts but i'm grateful for the ones i have yeah for sure um talladega is massive Mm -hmm. man there's so many records dude um uh gonna t-shirt t-shirt speaking of uh thomas rett and our friend joe london over here sitting on the speaking of massive yeah exactly um, and that's the John Party year too, mm-hmm. Head Over Boots. Yes. Um, and 2017 starts with you know you already start with the Triple Play Award and the you know nominated for Songwriter of the Year again on mm-hmm. ACMs. What's next, man? I mean, is it obviously Creative Nation is like is is continuing to grow? Mm-hmm. You guys are are releasing songs that are doing well on a regular basis. You know, and yeah. Natalie's now doing her solo music, and Lori and McKenna put out a record. You know, she we did? we That's put great. we put out a record. <laughs> We're a record label now as well. Yeah. So come on, guys. When did come, that happen? Um, honestly, 
you know how the, how the music business is now. There's just no limit on. It's like one of those times in the business where it's kind of scary, but it's also really exciting. So, like, if you do want to put a record out, you can do it. You know, yeah. you don't have. It doesn't just have to be a major label thing. So, do you team up with people to do promotion? Yeah, yes. Um, and you know, honestly, Beth, she really heads up all of that. Yeah. Um, but like with Lori, she introduced Lori to Dave Cobb. Yeah. And they hit it off. They made a record, and we were like, "Well, I guess we'll put it out." And so, um, Thirty Tigers does the distribution, and she got you know nominated for a Grammy this year um, on that album. So it's like, "Oh, I guess we're doing this too." Do you think is that is it hard to run a business and do the music stuff at the same time, or no? Because well, Beth is doing yeah, a lot. It's of it. no, yeah. it's not for me. But yeah, it's a lot of work. Is it hard to show up in a session, and be creative, or maybe that's why you like doing sessions in the morning? Yeah, I you know, <clears throat> I, I think that if I was without Beth, I would not have my own company like I do, um, like we do. Right. Um, like I'm just better off in the studio or writing. Like I know where my strengths and my weaknesses are, and yeah. I don't. I have way more weaknesses than I do strengths. <laughs> when we've done country stuff, you you know you know what's going on in the pop world. And when I mention country music and pop sessions, I tend to get blank stares. But I always show all of these country records. I'm like, yo, check mm-hmm. out this lyric. This is insane. Did you show Charlie the Florida Georgia Line? Which one? There, there was a, he, he referenced a song. It's actually a song Thomas Rhett wrote around here. Oh no! Because he was I, like, "Man, I love that line." And I just was like, "What?" Yeah, I show the, I show Stripes all the time. Oh yeah, because you song. showed me that, yeah. and I was like, "Oh my god, Stripes being Brandy Clark's yeah. record." I mean, that, and that is Nashville at its finest, you know. And my thing is, I love all kinds of music, and there, certain different songs are great for different reasons, you know, like. In in Nashville, you know, traditionally it's been so lyrically based um, that if, you know, there's been some people, like if a song isn't just like this amazingly brilliant wrapped up in a bow lyric, people are like, oh, it's not a good song. Well, then why are people still singing it 20 years later? For right. me, I, I like, I love the most elementary lyrical pop song to the most creative um, well-written lyric country song and, and just you know it depends on what kind of mood i'm in or different it, i think it goes back to me loving like michael jackson like there's still like nothing that feels better than that to me when you're in country sessions are you bringing up pop records as references or is it or there you know is or when you're in pop sessions are you bringing up country records as references or are you able to sort of divide the difference and it's just sort of whatever song we write today is whatever song we write today yeah i mean like the probably, people in the room will just write probably a little bit of both i mean yeah. it just depends i mean i'm always listening to new music so but i don't i don't i'm not necessarily good at like breaking down okay this song the bpm is so and so like i don't know i just try to write something good right do you feel like i'm not as analytical about it you you writing because there aren't a lot of people who cross over in Mm -hmm. in the writer or artist world yeah why do you why are you writing with snoop dogg um like obviously because snoop's the shit but like i know you did your session with them and like i think that's probably your biggest achievement in life yeah i mean the song's never even been released but it was 
Yeah, I love the music. I mean, it all comes back to like, I just, if I like what the artist does, I'm going to maybe try to work with them or maybe n not. But I I appreciate so many different kinds of music. And, it, and if I like it and listen to it all the time when I'm driving around, why would I not try to <laughs> work with someone like that? Oh, yeah, of course. It's just interesting. It's yeah. just like a, it's a unique position to be in that you can get in the room with Neo and Snoop. And I, I don't know how, like I'm, believe me, I'm just as surprised, like why would they want to work with me? Right. So, well, the thing is if they, and when they get to know you and they're like, oh yeah, no, this guy actually, this guy's not, this guy's not, he actually is good at writing these kinds of records. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, I be, I want to be very familiar with the music. Um, like I don't just try to get on like if if it's an artist who I genuinely just am not a huge fan of the music or whatever, even if it's the biggest artist in the world, I'm not going to go try to work with them just to hopefully get paid. But I just enjoy working music that I like. Yeah, working on it. So, all right. So I'm going to just name five things, uh -huh. and you just tell me what's sort of the first. <laughs> we don't have a name for the segment. I always say that. I didn't. I must have not so got this to this just... part when I listened. Go ahead. No, it's okay. We kind of just started it. So I just say like the first thing that comes yeah, to my head. Okay. Eric Church. Badass. Natalie Hemby, Barry Dean, and Lori McKenna. That's one. <sighs> one word? That's one word. Oh, I don't know. Oh, that's oh, like oh, one. Oh. That's one like one statement. Um, the best. Yeah. Brandy Clark. Unique. Carrie Underwood. Gosh, there's a lot of. You can you she can start, use more than one word. She, I mean, she I'm really, gonna, like, she's really the eat. first big artist that believed in me. So I just think grateful. Yeah, Ashley Gorley. Um, unmatched guy has more number ones I think than anyone that's ever had in Nashville. He's got like thirty three. And do you find it, it competitive with? You know Rodney Clawson and and Ashley. And, yeah, but you know, all, all you guys are friends. Like I love how you guys yeah. co-write with each other. So it's not like you guys. It is, but you know, positive. like that's what you're up against. And when you get when you sit in a room with someone like Ashley or Rodney, the, this isn't by chance that these guys have done what they've done. They yeah. are phenomenal songwriters. And and like an Ashley can, he could write three songs a day that are all hits. It's so fast. And and the thing you know the thing that I most respect about Ashley is he is doing this at at a pace that I've never seen, but he also, like, his family doesn't come second to that. Like, he is right. an amazing dad and father. I mean, I respect that more than anything, just to see someone who work at such a high level but still have their priorities straight. It's really hard to do. I don't think he sleeps. I'm right, sure. right. <laughs> no, I think that that's the right focus. But um, to end, you know, you, you were the first person. All right, so in 2012, we meet. And we were in Aspen at a writing camp. Oh, that's right. And you were like, at the time, I had had cuts with, I had, I'd had a few cuts, mm -hmm. Maroon 5, Nicki Minaj and stuff, yeah. but I hadn't had any singles really. And, you know, it's those things of along the, the way that people who say like, yeah, I'll spend a day with this person, you know? And at the time you had had, you know, probably 12 number one songs. So when, you know, to spend a day with you is really important because it, it was... That was the first time where I was like, oh, if those are the people writing country, because my wife loves country, my dad yeah. loves country, then I kind of want to learn this. Yeah. And I spent so much time going back and forth with Nashville to Nashville because mm -hmm. I was like, 
I, I like these people, yeah. and I like this vibe, and these people are like our world-class songwriters, mm-hmm. and I had no introduction before that. So, you know, the fact that you're able to jump back and forth and that you care to jump back and forth mm-hmm. and that both sides of the industry really want you to come back and forth mm-hmm. is like, it's a cool, you're a cool role model to writers, not just in Nashville, but in the pop world too. So oh, thanks. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. And oh, I think you're doing amazing work. I'm excited to see what happens with Maggie Chapman. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what happens with the rest of your career and mm-hmm. Creative Nation. And uh, congratulations and thank you. Man, thank you. Congrats to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of And the Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to Jeff Sparger, David Silberstein from Mega House Music, and Michael White. Here's a sneak peek of next week's And The Writer Is. We'd done our show and we come off the show and it was just a crazy thing and he walked back over to say, well done, great show. He'd watch the show and we're like, shit, this is just, this is just crazy and I closed the door and then I hear Hey Jude being played on acoustic guitar, so there's an acoustic version of Hey Jude and I'm thinking, man, this is just coming through the speakers of the, you know, the venue. This is awesome. They're playing like an acoustic version of Hold the Fuck Up and I opened the door and there's Paul McCartney sitting on the back of a golf cart getting ready to go to stage just warming up just warming up and he's singing Hey Jude until next time this is Ross Golan hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm.